16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Michael Costa from The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show, Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. Oh, man. It's got to suck to get fired over vaccine protocols just when they about to start lifting mask mandates, man, now hiring. Hmm. Andrea Bordeaux, one of the stars of the television series Run the World, says she was fired after refusing to be vaccinated before they begin production on season two. Representatives from the Stars Network say that the Run the World star will not be replaced. Bordeaux said, quote, despite the article saying that I chose to leave, I did not opt to leave the series. Lion Gates made no efforts to find a workable solution. I was fired, end quote. Now, third, I think it's messed up that they're not going to replace her. That's the only thing that I don't agree with. Hmm. You got it right. Hmm. Every company got it right. Now, we can argue whether or not you should get this jab or whatever. And whether, but an employer, I got it right. If I'm shooting a show, I can say, hey, motherfucker, take a NyQuil every day before you come to this. I got the right to that. But I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it when TV shows just disappear characters and act like we didn't notice. The poster, well, all I mean, the season one, is four black got... women giggling. And then it's just what? three black women? We just supposed to just act like, where the fourth one? Coronavirus. Where you think the fourth one is? Like, I mean, ultimately. They going to kill her. Ultimately. <laughs> they going to kill her. <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, I feel bad for her. But I think also a lot of these shows don't want to have, for lack of a better word, an Aunt Viv situation either. A lot of these shows don't like explaining why they replaced one actor with another actor. Yeah, what's worse, JG, disappearing an actor or recasting them and just acting like the shit ain't happening? I think you need to recast because you're absolutely correct. How do we go from four to three? But I think there's a bigger issue here. Black women, you just can't cast us to the side. They should have found a workaround. Shit, they did. They found a workaround, all right. <laughs> they found a workaround. They found a graphic designer in Adobe that could take her picture out of the poster, too. It's a workaround. No, maybe she goes to another country or something, and we only see her via Zoom. I don't know, but they should have worked with her until she came around to getting the vaccine. Ooh, yeah. That's nice. They do those things. Mm-hmm. You're so nice. They do those too things. Too bad you ain't charging the network. <laughs> yeah, they, they should have signed you up. That's what I'm looking Send her ass upstairs like Judy Winslow on Family Matters. Never to be seen again. 
My name is Roy. This is my job fair. Black History Month. We trudge on third. Last week we took a little departure. Thank you to everybody who called. Wonderful, wonderful feedback mm-hmm. on Rod's relationship oh, thing. Yes. Oh, man. A lot of people, people appreciating the work, love, advice. And shout out to Corey up there in North Jersey, getting freaky with a man 20 years older than her. Oh, my God. And a lot of 40 year old men in the old job fair inbox trying to. Hey, uh, did, did y'all mention her, her Instagram? No, we didn't, you fucking pervert. No, we did not mention her Instagram. We deliberately didn't. Telling y'all nothing. We got a theme today Black Cinema. Black Cinema, single guests, and we're going to talk to two wonderful people that have built. And we talk about the pivot. We're talking about building something that you, your passion, and building it at a time where no one else saw the vision but you. Because, you know, we talk about when you're pivoting into something new you really are driving in fog. And sometimes you're the only one that can feel your way through it, man. So we're going to talk about the world of black cinema. Do do we want to keep it horror third? But I guess it's technically all TV production and entertainment, but it really is about black movie making. And it really is about no matter what the genre of blackness is, ways that you can build your own career or your own lane for yourself and what I believe to be entertainment is definitely becoming more, you don't need the studios as much as you think you do mm-hmm. for everything that you're trying to do, especially if you can self-fund mm. and you can figure out ways to kind of skirt around all the gatekeepers. It ain't as many gates, so you don't need as many gatekeepers. So we're going to speak. With- and, and we've got, we've got, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't even want to take their name from you, but we got two black folks who, as far as I'm concerned, have been skating one of the hardest gates to skate um, when it comes to entertainment because it's real hard to do black sci-fi. It's real Ooh. hard to do black horror. It's real hard to, to to do deep historical things about black folks. And this was before the internet where you could lie about oh. who you were. You really had, they've, they've, they've been around. They've been yeah, around and, 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 it, and I, super, as a black nerd, happy to because have Because when them. you talk about black Hollywood, the default is to go to Tyler Perry because he's the broadest, most commercially successful black creative that built it from the ground up or whatever, but there's so many other people doing it in so many different ways to get into that world. So I'm very, very excited about talking to them today. JG, what's your favorite black movie since we're talking black cinema today? Oh, why do you throw me under the bus like this? You know, I think about things. Let's just talk. If we're going to talk horror, I'm going to go tales from the hood. It's all that. Um, and this one isn't a black movie, but you know a horror movie I really enjoyed in the 80s third was Critters. Mm. Oh. The yeah. little killer gerbils <laughs> mm-hmm. with the poison darts and, and they it was in Kansas and they roll into a ball, but all the critters could get together in a super ball and it would eat anything that the anything the ball rolled over, yes. it consumed all the flesh off of that thing. Mm. That was a good movie. Uh, mine is simple. Every time. If I gotta do if we're doing horror, it's Candyman. Without question, okay. Candyman is, is is my favorite black horror movie ever written, and then my favorite black uh, horror documentary ever done is Get Out. That was good. You think Get Out's a documentary? It's a horror documentary. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay, that's all I know. Sticking to it. It's a horror documentary. <laughs> Who's who's on the line, Jacqueline? Okay, the list of accolades is super long, Roy, and you know that. 
So I'm going to condense it so we can talk about it further. It's a husband and wife team transforming the industry as it relates to films, books, and also universities. Extremely excited to welcome and learn from. I know you don't want me to call you this, but Madam Do. And also Mr. Barnes. Oh, Tanana Reeve Do. Mm. Stephen Barnes, welcome Thank aboard you. the job fair. Thank you, Roy Woods. It is an honor to be here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Love it. I had a dream of being on your show. Yes. I'm on a podcast. Could you imagine if Dr. King had a podcast? That stop. <laughs> Mm. This is the third time I've seen you two. Now, we chopped it up for The Daily Show on a run about black people and horror and the history of black horror. And we're going to get to horror noir and everything that that is in a second. And then you were kind enough to have me as a guest on your podcast, which is, what are y'all in, episode five or six now? Yeah, we just did episode five. Yeah, that's right. We're about to six be up uh, this Sunday. It's a lifewritingpodcast.com. Nice. We talk about the arts and the, the methods of actually not just succeeding in the arts, but keeping yourself sane as you do. Mm. So, Tanana Reeve, you and your husband separately have had journeys with regards to television production, with regards to just learning the art of cinema that eventually culminated with you two meeting. If, like people like y'all are why I believe in like 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 soulmates because I'm like Aww. all right y'all that, that makes sense. Okay, you like you like scary movies. Mm-hmm. You like film. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right, <laughs> let's get married and study that together. Pretty much. Then yeah, pretty much. I, the first time I was in her house and I saw that she had Day of the Triffids sitting on her shelf, I, I said, "Oh, I'm marrying her." <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love, that. I love you both. I love you both. I love the fact that you saw that, and that was I love that you was both. it. I'm done. That was I'm it. Now, we met I'm at an African American Fantastic Imagination Conference. It was the first com- uh, conference for Black Science Fiction writers. Octavia Butler was there. Chip Delaney was there. A lady named Jewel Gomez. Hey, we got a shout out. New it writer named Anna Reeve Do. Clark Atlanta University. Nice. That's, so right. that's, that's where, we, where met. we met. Pascal's. Y'all met at the AU yes. Center. Hell yeah, Pascal's. We, well, that's right. That's right. Shout first, out! Shout out to AUC. Did we have our first breakfast together at Pascal's? Yes, we did. That's yes, right. So, so that's and the blackest seven, ass story like, you ever heard, probably. So yeah, seventy-two hours after we met, we were basically engaged. We were sitting in the airport, wow. hands, leaning our heads against each other, mm-hmm. talking about how we could build an empire together. I just I saw her talk about how she got Stephen King to give her a cover blurb, and realized this woman was brilliant. She had done a three-wall bank shot on him using different skills to get to different positions and had executed perfectly. And I just sat there in the audience and said, oh, my God, she's smart. And then almost as if recognizing how smart she was gave me permission, the next thought in my mind was, and she's really cute, too. And I, I, I sort of adopted her as a little sister before then. I My intentions had been totally clean. I just wanted to to help her as much as I could, give her as much information as I could. But then once I saw that, I just, it was like, oh my God, she's going home to Miami tomorrow. I'm going home to Washington State. We couldn't be further apart in the continental United States. I've got to get her attention. 
I got her to get her attention. And so I looked around the room. There was a woman sitting two seats away from me with a baby on her lap. Tanana Reeve was down off the stage signing autographs. I turned to the woman sitting there and said, excuse me, ma'am, could I borrow your baby? And she said, what? She knew me from the conference. I said, I just love babies. I don't want to take the baby out of the room. And I, she said, okay. I took the baby and got down on the floor and started playing with the baby in front of Tanana Reeve while she was signing autographs. And I did a Scooby take. I'm like, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. yes. No, I was in my thirties and single, and like, oh, what if that had backfired, man? She see you with a baby, like, oh, he got a fresh baby. I don't fool with no man. <laughs> no, no because it wasn't. That I, baby don't I, even I, look like him. I could tell from things she'd said about her family that she had been raised in a good family mm. with loving parents, and if she was a healthy female of in her early thirties, uh, then the chances are very good that her instincts were going to run in that direction. And there would be no way she could look at a, a professional black man mm-hmm. who loved babies without her hind brain going, Ur? You know, honey, 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 honey. It wasn't just the baby, though. I mean, yeah, the baby. I did notice the baby. And I was, like, looking, going, aw. But also, I had just heard you speak. And even mm. before I got to the conference, I, I saw an episode he wrote of The Outer Limits back uh, in, the, in the 80s. That episode mm-hmm. called A Stitch in Time, Amanda Plummer where a scientist invents a time machine to go back in time to kill serial killers before they can strike. Word! That was his. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I gotta meet you him. You want to in a Cable Ace oh. Award? Yeah, you all. Yeah. And that's what I want to get into a little later in the show, because between the two of you, there's Emmy Awards, there's Cable Aces, there's NAACP Image Awards, and before American you... Book Award for Tea, British Fantasy Award for Tea. Bro! And Black Nerd Love award for me because together the both of you helped raise my black nerdy ass like all of the hard shit all of the stuff that you all did was the stuff that my mama raised me on truth be told my mother-in-law is mad right now that she can't come up here she's i'm I'm, when i break i'm gonna go get them she literally has like three of tannery's books and my books is my steven books are in storage we're also going to talk uh, to Nana Reeve about the curriculum that you teach at UCLA that has Ralph so excited and about to have a nervous breakdown. But before we get into everything that you all have built, that at a time when you conceived it was counterculture, hmm. let's talk about that first and the worst jobs. <laughs> well, well, you want to go first? When you yeah, was well, you know. broke ass people and you didn't know each other. <laughs> Living on different sides of the country. Different side. I grew up in Miami. And actually, it's Black History Month, so it's fitting to point out because my first job uh, came with sort of a tragic backstory. There was a motorcyclist named Arthur McDuffie that Miami police beat to death. Twelve mm-hmm. officers uh, beat this man mm. to death, tried to cover it up, make it look like his motorcycle had crashed. And that acquittal caused the Miami insurrection in 1980 that was my first Black Lives Matter moment, okay? I was like, oh, shoot, what? You can, like, you can murder somebody, try to cover it up, the newspaper uncovers it, y'all still ain't going to jail. So that was my first Black Lives Matter. And what came out of that was that the Miami Herald realized they didn't have enough black reporters, like most newspapers still don't to this day. And they started... You want to go down to... You want to go down to Carroll City and cover the angry Negroes? Right, oh, no, pretty boss. much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, boss. I don't Shoot. know. I'm good. So they, and what was happening was they would try to recruit candidates, but people didn't like Miami. Miami has its own flavor. So mm-hmm. if you're not from Miami, it's very multicultural. It's its own vibe, right? And I, I was from Miami. You have to know that city. You have to be yes. of Miami to really yeah. move journalistically. To really, 
Exactly. Yeah, ain't no so way. They, ain't no way you can work in Dade without being. Yeah, they they, they just ain't they no started way. a high school internship program. So that was literally my first job. I was 15 years old, and I interviewed to be a high school intern. I worked in a little neighborhood bureau called Neighbors. So it was a good and bad. Okay, first mm-hmm. I got my first front page story at the age of 16 years old. Because of high school gossip in my hallways, apparently the high school football team, uh, Miami Southridge High School Spartans, had uh, run down a thief on the football field. And so that story seemed cute to my editors. They probably beat the hell out of him. But anyway, that didn't go in the story. I got me my first front page story. But the flip side is, as I, first of all, um, I always wanted to be a novelist. I was a fiction writer at heart. Journalism was just sort of my back pocket gig, right, Mm -hmm. to try to make a living. That was so-called a stable career back then. But I kept coming back as an intern, and that was when I learned how police lie. I mean, I learned it during McDuffie, but I guess I forgot. Mm Because then when I was a reporter on the scene, an officer just started listing a whole bunch of things that somebody had done. Oh, yeah, we just uh, had a raid in this warehouse, and he's wanted on this, and he's been on the on the run for that, and, and we charging him with this and that and the other. It was not true, okay? Not a word of what he said to me was true. And I printed it all unfiltered in the newspaper. Oh. And I'm just lucky he had a sense of humor because mm. he calls me on the phone, oh, I understand from reading my newspaper today. And I knew I was in trouble, okay, because he was just, like, running it down that none of this was yeah, true. And yeah, it was definitely. just awful. I was, I felt so bad. I should have been fired, really. But I felt so bad. Mm. Um, and that was my lesson. Do not, I mean, police uh, can be included in your story. Police say, police claim. That's what I wish reporters would say. Mm. Police claim <laughs> the assailant. Mm. Because, you know, bar. they don't do that. It's always listed as facts. And that just ain't so. Well, mm. that. How did you end up leaving this job? When did you finally say goodbye to this publication? Um, you know, bless those reporters, bless that job. It was really when I met Steve, when we got engaged. Actually, when we got married. <laughs> I, I hollered y'all. I found me a man. I could, basically, <laughs> I <quit. laughs> after, after ten wow. years, after ten years, and and I just wasn't cut out for it. I'm not confrontational. I don't want to. I don't want to irritate people. Like if you're mourning, I don't want to be in your face. It's just like, ugh, I was not cut out to be a journalist. So thank goodness I, I found love and I uh, moved to Washington State to be with my man. Mm. You gotta love some black. That's what's up. You moved to Washington State, you ain't but four black people. It wasn't well, from Miami. Yeah, we were, oh, it was a shock. It was a oh, for real. It was a culture. Ken Griffey wasn't shock. even up there yet. Shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I had moved to a foreign country that was just like the United States, except it didn't have any black people there. It was like, uh-huh. yeah, they call black people colored. And this was oh. back in, in like 97, 98, 2000. They were still calling black people colored in Washington, in oh, our yeah. town. Oh, man. Mm. Well, this is going to be great. After the break, Stephen, I want to get your um, worst of first. Maybe we'll figure out a little scam if y'all can tell us a little bit of the scams that are going on in the world of entertainment as well. We also got to check in with the homie Narado, a.k.a. Rob for short. It's cinema week. We're talking black cinema, black movie, black in it, black, black in it, black. <laughs> Job fast. Be right back with our black, black in the ass. Where? <laughs>
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Michael Costa from The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show, Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. Job fair. Black History Month, man. Black History Month, and we are talking the world of black cinema, black movies. Our guest for the entire ride is wonderful, wonderful authors and TV producers and writers. Tanana Reed Du and Stephen Barnes, also husband and wife. And we know she loved him because she moved to Washington State to be with his ass. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's right. Thank y'all for being on with us. Um, Steven, we're going to get to your worst and first kind of your scam hybrid story in a second. But this is the part of the show where we bring on a white people, black people-ologist. And I don't know how often you all have listened to the job fair, but this brother comes to us from Parts Unknown. And his job every week is to come on this program and give our listeners topic or two that they can bring up with co-workers of the opposite race. You know what I'm saying, Stephen? To keep the shit moving at your job. You got boring co-workers. You got to come up with something stupid to small talk with them about. And that's where this gentleman comes in. His mama named him Narado. We call him Rod for short. Rod, first off, what you sipping on this week? You sipping over there? Look like you were pulling up. Yeah, yeah. I got a little concoction uh, I created on my birthday a while back, um, you know, I had a little room, we were drinking, uh, had some hypnotic, and we were trying to figure out, what does hypnotic go with, what do you mix it with, and tried a couple things and came up with the most delicious mix is hypnotic and grape soda, it is the blackest shit, and black, you drinking, I've ever heard, you drinking, it's black (laughs) to get down. I'm unapologetically I black. Great soda during Black History Month. You gonna turn your back on what you know? Uh, you go, you go front, you go front, you go come from Alabama and front on Not grape. Not grape, like and then mm. pepper wings. But go ahead. A lot of good, a mm. lot of good feedback for you last week, Rod, on the relationship fair. A lot of folks showing love. Third. I think we got to run relationship fair back. Maybe like, what you think? Once every two months, we have Rod check in with people dating somebody they work with. I was thinking that, man. Like, maybe once every two months, just have a yeah. whole show dedicated to Rod. 
talking to the people. And, uh, you know, we, we cover all kind of office romance issues. I think it'd be dope. All right, Rod. Well, we I'm got two help. wonderful, wonderful esteemed guests here. And I do want to talk to them about their documentary, Horror Noir, where they break down the history of black horror movies. But first... I thought you said horror noir. <laughs> horror. Horror. <laughs> now, I don't know. Tanana Reeves, Steven, is there plans for a sequel? Oh. Will y'all focus? Uh, <laughs> not that I've heard. Not that I've heard. Okay. <laughs> no, I, it sounds like introspective it be... on black sex workers surrounding fascinating enterprise. This is a public cinema. It's the world's <laughs> oldest profession. <laughs> That's right. We got to let them know. Black whores have been That's here right. since day one. It's time to get their Probably. Yes. That's right. I think some of the original ones might still be around. I think I might oh, shoot. Come on. Boulevard. I'm going to get that money. I'm worried about the wrong shit. person. Yeah, it don't stop. It don't stop. Oh. It don't Take stop. Take it. Right. See? <laughs> I really give this something special, yo, man. Rod, put that grape soda down. I'm done. W- once you go gums, you ain't had See? no fun. I don't know. Something like that. And this is like he is in front of his wife. Imagine Steven without Tanana Reeve around. You know he mm. <laughs> I'm just used to it by now. Used he is to my it. leash. <laughs> Rod, put down the hypnotic and give these folks a couple of topics they can break the ice with their co-workers. White people. Some big news in black culture right now is that actress Lisa Ray McCoy recently revealed on a podcast that uh, she was a gangster girl back in the day running around in Chicago and she has been to jail several times, she said, for fighting, pistol whipping, even shooting people so that's that's how she stays so down to earth she says because it's it's in her it's in her blood she's been a regular person she knows what it's like out here and yeah I saw Lisa Ray gangster my first internship Crazy. my first radio internship in Tallahassee WVHT Hot 105.7 North Florida South Georgia's number one for hip hop and R&B it was when mm. it was the year after Players Club came out and Lisa Ray was doing club appearances. It's like the eye candy. This was the beginning of the eye candy era of yes, hip hop and Vita Guerrera oh. and all of, you know, Buffy the Body, Superhead and all of them, right? And mm. Lisa Ray had a calendar that she was autographing. It was like, you know, she's in all, you know, every the meat is all hanging out on the calendar. And she's autographing these lingerie calendars at a club. And some dude came up and tried to grab we got a guest JG so I'm going to be appropriate okay. some guest tried to grab one of her memory glands no. <laughs> and I don't know you remember in Street Fighter there was a move that Guile had called the spinning back fist where you yep. pirouette like a ballet dancer and just a full extension backhand slap with your fist she did that oh. shit while sitting from a seated position yeah. <laughs> what She's not to be fucked with, bro. That's why he didn't do that again. You know how some people go, I used to be a killer. I even like, shut your ass. No. Lisa Ray McCoy, I believe that. I believe that. She always always got props (laughs) from me because she she would only do the bikini pictures back in the day. And then, you know, cats thought that they would get extra if they paid to go onto her site. But ha, she fooled you. You just got more bikini pictures. She never showed herself nude. And charged dudes to see more pictures of her still in bikini. 
personally, at the time of my life, it was extremely frustrating. Yes. Because I didn't have the money to spend, and I needed to see her naked. only thing. But, you know, I thought it was sharp. Ralph was on that. What? <laughs> right. Ralph was on that old school OnlyFans. He had a floppy disk. He was <laughs> down low. <laughs> I take I take my own mother to the doggone computer lab and kiss my ass. I was using Netscape and Firefox. Look at that part on the Apple uh, too. <laughs> it, it might have been a Linux station, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like I was I was in tune. With the black and green screen. Oh, you already know what I was looking at. That's what makes you worse. That's the worst part. Let's flip you know? it up, Rod. Let's flip it up. What what the black people need to be doing about what white folks up to this week? Black people, there's a, a huge warning you want to give to your, your white co-workers right now uh, pertaining to wolves. Right now in uh, Minnesota, apparently wolves are evolving and in the Voyagers National Park they found a wolf who was not afraid of humans or snowmobiles and they observed this wolf just casually strutting around while people were getting their snowmobile on and he was Wait. just hanging out. Apparently, it's very abnormal behavior. This one wolf is not fucking around. So much so that they gave this weird warning. And it says, quote, The wolf seemed unalarmed, did not appear to exhibit fear of people or snowmobiles, and just sauntered, lingered in the area. This is extremely abnormal behavior, and folks should exercise caution if they encounter this wolf. End quote. Now... That is a good warning, but I think it's hilarious that they want people to pick out one, one fucking wolf from the Thank you. Like, like, how do, like, how are you supposed to know that's the wolf you're supposed to be scared? Right. I'm so glad you said that, bro. I was thinking, like, how the hell are you supposed you to know? You come in contact with this wolf, stay away. Like, I'm staying away from all damn wolves. Because <laughs> it walks up to you and answers to your <laughs> Like you trying to suck you into something. Right. Watch out. It's waiting on people to fall off the back of them snowmobiles so you can go and grab one. That's right. Easy you know how like you got you making your plate at the house and the dog follow you around and wait for that little scrap to fall <laughs> off the plate? That's how that wolf. <laughs> but, bro, that's a, but that's a... Th- that's the equivalent of a bear waiting for you to go to sleep so he can eat you easier. Like, I, that, that, that's scary as hell to me, man. Like, if they're evolving to be that sharp, man, that's scary, man. I'm glad that I don't like snow. I also love that Shit. in this arrogance of this story, there's an underlying arrogance to the story that somehow us humans are the ones that are invading the world. So, no. Mm. Mm-hmm. The wolf ain't acting normal. Right. He's supposed to We're be not scared. Apex no, it's a wolf. Sooner or later, it's going to go, what's up? I'll eat your ass. That's what it's supposed to do. It's very dangerous. It's very Caesar in the planet of the apes because if wolves see him not being scared, mm. then the rest of them going to stop being scared. And then Minnesota's going to be overtaken by wolves. No eat wolf. Wolf yeah, so let, let white people know. Stay away. This podcast away. is Uncle Rod's Story Corner. Rod, as always, brother, thank you for coming thank through. You, I'm going to leave you with your, with your great hypnotic black history. The only thing missing is Hennessy. Why don't not put some Hennessy in the dude? I don't drink oh. family court liquor. Yo, son. Family court. I love you, Rod. God damn, I love you. Bookmark oh. that for next week, Rod. Because I want to yeah. know what the other family court liquors are. Thank you, Rod. Bye, Rod. Thank you. Peace, Rod. Bless up. Bless up. <laughs> he gives good advice. <laughs> 
Tanana Reed Deuce, Stephen Barnes, they're with us today. We're talking about, you know, black cinema and black television um, and their path in creating so many beautiful, beautiful things. Now, Stephen, you, you know what's interesting? In your, in your, in our write-up that uh, my producer, Hiyat, gave us, and Down South Georgia Girl is doing some digging, you've done all of this wonderful black science fiction like you because as a as a as a as a black writer and they're trusting you to tell a story on an episode of television and you choose to infuse a little bit of blackness i understand all of that how you end up writing an episode of baywatch (laughs) well actually hearing that you you mentioned that i might switch to in terms of the worst job situation because i never want to work for those guys again so i might as well tell a story on them Basically, what happened is the very first thing oh, I ever wrote for television was for a show called... Uh, well, actually, it was the first hour-long episode. The first thing I ever did was for uh, Twilight Zone. But then I did... There was a show called The Wizard with that little guy from Time Bandits, David Rappaport, playing a, uh, an inventor, you know, who's a dwarf inventor, who did all these different things. And I wrote the last episode of, that, of the series because it, it didn't get picked up. It was called Henry... The eighth. It was about a robot that develops sentience that, that, that becomes alive, and the producers on that, uh, Michael Burke and Doug Schwartz, uh, went on to do Baywatch. And a script that I had written crossed their desk, and they looked at it and they liked the script. And then they realized that it was me, and they remembered that they liked me. Um, I had I had <laughs> I had finessed that because I'd been studying neurolinguistic programming, which talks about things called matching and modeling. So I sat in the office when I went in to pitch to uh, Henry VIII originally, uh, rather pitch to, to the wizard originally. And when when Michael Burke would cross his legs, I'd cross my legs. If he crossed his arms, I'd cross my arms. It, I would match his tone of voice. I would match the pace at which he was speaking. I would match his verbal predicates. If he said C, you know, I would know, oh, he's visual, so I would do, use visual stuff. At the end of the meeting, he looked at me and said, you know, wow. you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. Why? Because <laughs> I seem to him like him. Yes. Okay. Now, <laughs> later oh, on, so I wrote, you know, now, they, that's a scam. they, nice. they looked at my stuff on Baywatch. On, 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 they, they asked me to come in for Baywatch, and I had I had never seen the show. I'd heard of it, but I got several several uh, VHS tapes of it, and I watched it up in my house. I was living up in Canyon Country at the time, and I looked at, at it. And my daughter, who was about six or seven at the time, Nikki was sitting on the couch next to me watching it. And after I'd watched about three or four episodes, I looked at her and I said, "Well, what do you think of this?" And she said, "Well." It's nice people working hard to make the beach safe so that people can have fun. And I said, you know, there's worse stuff than that in the world. I'll write for this show. And I wrote it to the best of my ability, and I actually got to put in one line that really touched my core philosophy, which is love isn't two people looking at each other. It's two people looking in the same direction. And Mm. because at that time, Baywatch was the most popular show in the world. Over a billion people saw that from me. So, yeah, it was Baywatch, you know, Pam Anderson. I've got a great Pam Anderson story I'll tell you some other time. Um, But the best gig in the world. So we were, you know, it was was a good thing. Then things went wrong. 
Um, one of the p- shows I pitched to them was about a television producer who goes to Baywatch to do a television series, a movie about lifeguards, and they hate it because he makes all the guys look like steroid airheads and all the women look like silicone bimbos. And I'm sitting back after I pitched this, I'm thinking to myself, they're not going to go for this, are they? they? Do they know I'm talking about their show? But they loved yeah, it. That's what literally what the show is. <laughs> yeah. They loved it. And they, they let me write it, and I wrote it. And because comedy isn't my specialty and because they knew the show better than I did, uh, one of the uh, producers on the show, I won't say which one, had to rewrite my episode quite a bit, which was fine. But then I got a call from my agent saying that um, he wanted half of the credit on the show, which meant half the money for the residuals. These guys are already multimillionaires. And I'm thinking... You know, I'm just trying to make my my mortgage. I'm trying, I'm just a working writer trying to get, why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. And I said, I told him, I said, give him the credit. Don't fight this because if he fights it and loses, he's going to take it out on me. And that's exactly what happened. He, Mm. He went to the Writers Guild. He lost at the Writers Guild. And the next thing I knew, he was a neighbor of the guy who ran my agency and basically went over to this guy's house and told him that I wasn't a good writer and they'd only hired him out of loyalty. Basically, an affirmative action hire, you know. So Damn, I, was, I was crushed. I was hurt because I thought these guys But wait, were but why did, that, why did that escalate? Didn't you tell your agent, let it slide, I'll because share the Because the Writers Guild just... won't let you do it. The Writers Guild forces you into arbitration. They won't let the studio twist your arm. On something mm. like that, so their readers mm. read both scripts and said, "No, no, this is Steve Barnes's script. You just you just tarted it up a little bit." So I was heartbroken, and my wife at the time, this is before Tanana was tired of seeing me get hurt by Hollywood. And she, mm. after the Silmar earthquake, she she said, "I'm getting out of California," which is how we ended up moving up to the north, up to the northwest. So I gave mm. my house back to the bank, which had been you know trashing my credit because I had a choice: I could have my career in Hollywood, or I could be a father. And there's no contest. My kids trump everything to me. So Mm -hmm. um, I gave the house back to the bank. I rented an 18-wheeler, packed it up, and was just about to turn off the utilities when the telephone rang. I picked it up. It's my agent. He said, Steve, Baywatch wants to talk to you. I said, what? So I called them up, and this guy says, Stevie, baby. You know, we're one strip oh, short That's this that season, and we talk. need it fast, and we need it good. So, of course, we thought of you. I said, I bet you did. And so mm. we met. Stevie, at- baby, what's going on? It's just. Just- <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. We exactly. met at this restaurant, and on the back of a of a napkin, uh, we, I, we sketched out a story about an ecological terrorist who who kidnaps the uh, sailboat of one of the lifeguards to blow up an oil rig. But because to reward me for doing this on short notice, they also let me give uh, Garner, the black lifeguard on the show, his first love story. And so that was the brother on wow. the four wheeler, right? In the tight short. Yes, that's right. He was kind of beefy. Yeah. He wasn't as ripped as, as the other guys. So, they never let him do shit, but ride around on that fucking well, four wheeler. First love story. So basically, what happened? Nice. Is I'm driving up the coast, and I'm writing at night in in motels while I'm driving up to Washington. I'm thinking to myself, these sons of and- bitches hurt me. I don't ever want to work for them again. I want some revenge. I want some Uh-oh. payback. What Uh-oh. can I nice do shit. to these people? Oh, and I shit. came up with a perfect strategium. Here so here's what happens. Garner, oh, 
the the the, the cop black is, character is chasing this okay. this uh, bicycle thief and falls off the dock, and this black lifeguard saves him, gives mouth to mouth resuscitation, and um, the the lifeguard by the way was played by one of the uh, the uh huh. Girls that Ray Charles, that Ray Charles, old Ray Charles commercial. The Pepsi girls, and she yeah. came when mm. she saw me. She Diet came Pepsi. dancing across the studio and threw herself into my arms. Garner asked, you know, basically. So it's he, he said, "How did you write that scene?" Because here's the scene. So she saves him, and then he approaches her later on, and the following scene takes place. He says, she says, you're not going to use that old line about now that I've saved your life, you belong to me. And he says, no, I've got a brand new line that I, I know a bar where the steaks sizzle so fine that cows line up to jump on the grill. And she says, scouts on her. And she, he says, I was never a scout, but I am prepared. And she says, well, I don't ordinarily eat meat, but I might make an exception today. <laughs> And Garner, the guy who played Garner, because it was a family show. He said, "How this is network television? This is primetime network television." He said, "How did you get that line in the script?" I said, "It was easy. The first draft said I don't ordinarily eat red meat, and as soon as they obeyed it, I just dropped out the word red from the next draft. I knew they wouldn't read it carefully enough to know what I'd done, and they didn't until it was on the air, and the parents' groups were sending them nasty letters." Scam worthy. There you go. Scam worthy. Well done. That it is. is a motherfucking scam. Yes. Well done. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I have anyone who I might hire us in the future. My negritude. Yeah. You know, anyone there, who might hire us. You'll never do that again. You'll <laughs> never do it again, everyone. <laughs> he might. You never know. He got to keep that gun on him. You never know when you, you might know have when to you smash might, a yeah. cuss word. Got to get a little gangster there. After the well break, we're going to bring it home after the break because I want to talk about everything that you all are doing today. I want to talk a little bit about the podcast as well. You know, Tanana Reeve, everything that you're teaching about your Afrofuturism. And also, I want to talk about the stuff that you all are writing now currently as well for CBS and CBS All Access. It's a job fair. We'll be right back, man. I knew that, JG, I knew this was going to be a good story when he says strategic. <laughs> you hear that I, I word got to talk to you about my strategic. <laughs> <laughs> I put my foot all up in Baywatch. Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The Dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. 
I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Job fair. We still cooking, man. Cinema week. Uh, Tanana Reed Duke, Stephen Barnes, husband and wife, also wonderful, wonderful content creators and television producers and writers. And let's let's dig in on everything that you are now and your path. Because Stephen, you came from a bit of that studio system of writing the te- like you you tried to do it the right way. I'm a giant fucking do it. Now, what yeah, you- yeah. I came out of writing novels, and then I started working in television, and I ran into problems. I mean, I would write, I would write characters, you know, where the, you know, the, the lead character was black, and they oh. would swap out white characters. I mean, the Outer Limits did. I had, a, I had a, an episode about a inner city gang that hijacks a military convoy holding pieces of the Roswell, U, uh, Roswell UFO crash, and there's still something alive in, in the thing. And they said that they couldn't make it a black street gang because there weren't enough black people in Vancouver to shoot British Columbia. Oh. They'd have to import Negroes <laughs> across the border, and there was a stiff tariff on Negroes <laughs> if you move them across so the border. So he tried it that way. Um, so it, it was – I tried it. I tried to work inside the studio system, you know, and I still do. But you can't. You have to understand that that's not the only path. Well, let me let me tell you. To, you know it. What it's happened? Really important. What happened, which Go was ahead. significant, because I'd been publishing horror since 1995. I had a lot of little nibbles. You know, I used to fish with my mom, and I used to have some nibbles on the line, but never could get anything produced. And then Jordan Peele produced and uh, wrote and released that documentary get out <laughs> and, um, and that, that just blew the doors off that blew the doors off in terms of at least even lip service from studios and executives who where are the blacks with the horror movie idea <laughs> right we get me a black yeah but really they would say black people don't like science fiction they would tell you black people face. don't like horror I, I had white people arguing with me that they knew black people better than I did and that black people did not like, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beyond ridiculous. It's so, it's incredibly insulting. With that insult to Nana Reeve, was that part of what inspired you to, you know, you have, there's the streamer shutter Mm -hmm. and I have a subscription. Thank you. My girl watch it. Thank you to her. I share the password with my little brother. It's a lot of scary shit on this site. (laughs) A lot. On that stream. From all over the world. <laughs> I am a nervous man, but I do enjoy, I enjoy horror comedy. That's kind of my thing. Like, I need a joke every 10 to 15 minutes to kind of add levity to the to the jumps and the scares or whatever. But you all create this wonderful documentary called Horror Noir. 
not Rod. Rod mm-hmm. is still in my head. Yeah, was... horror, <laughs> horror, 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 noir. And and when you, when I talk about the impact of Jordan Peele, I was an executive producer on that. It's directed by Xavier Bergen. I was just lucky to be invited, you know, to be an executive producer. I didn't have to pitch it. I didn't have to do none of the work. I just had to show up and do my on camera and help, you know, promote it. But that got the green light the day Jordan Peele won his Oscar. So when I talk about Jordan, wow. yeah, the day. So when I talk about his impact, it's not theoretical. It was like literally horror noir found its home because Jordan Peele demonstrated the the interest and appetite for black horror. And and he has just opened, and then we got a Twilight Zone episode uh, out of it. Uh, Steve and I co-wrote. So that was my first TV credit. First TV credit was with Steve writing for the new Twilight Zone. And it was great for me because I grew up on the Twilight Zone. My first television uh, credit was the 80s Twilight Zone. And then in some ways, according to my agent, I was not supposed to be able to get back into Hollywood because I had aged out that, you know, that they did not write. They did not hire people to write television freelancers anymore. He said it was all uh, written by writing rooms and they didn't hire anybody for the writing rooms over 40. And I was already over 50 at that time. So it was it was a matter of really trying to play chess and Jordan Peele's giving us the opportunity to do this. You know, I will love him forever. He is. He, plus, he's just a brilliant yeah. guy There's, and a good guy. He the really worth is. in you two is twofold to me. And we I try and, you know, we have ignorant episodes where, yes, we talk about office sex. But then we also have episodes like this where I feel like in spite of what your career is, even if someone can't relate to it, there's two things with you all that I think anyone could take and apply to any field that they're in where they're trying to build and assemble their own empire. One, the art of collaboration, how you two are able to work, because this isn't normal. The, like a husband and wife doing the same thing side by side and then taking their business home, like the, the, you all are very much in a large minority there. Number two, how are you all at a time able to keep your vision how were you able to stay true to your vision for so long when so few people saw it or even agreed with it? Mm. Man, you are, you're touching something that is so deep and so powerful. Can we take those one at a time? Yeah. Yeah. The, let's, yeah. The first collaboration, when we first got married, we knew we wanted to work together, but I also knew that the relationship comes first. So we set up some rules and one of them is just that. The relationship itself is never on the line. We have to be able to fight. Oh. You know, it, it, any creator knows that you fight with yourself about stuff. So if there's two of you, you're going to fight. And you have to have permission to fight. You have to be able to fight for what you believe Shut. to be true. You fight for the perspective you think is right. You know, and, and you go at it, hammer and tongs. But you, it, the relationship itself is not on the line. I love her. I adore her. She is my he baby. And he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean streaming wrong. fights Never. like we're not calling each other names. Well, there was that one time before we got married, but I don't no. do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I took that word out of my vocabulary. That was my first time. I didn't know. But anyway, yeah, it's not that kind of fighting. But he's right. We're going to argue. No, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful that you both... Um understand at the end of the day that it's about the relationship like that's really what it's about like you can't i'm the only married i'm the only other married person in here 
so I, I I can say like the one of the things that my wife and I share is uh, we we don't we never go to bed angry. Mm. We might debate, we might fight, whatever, but we won't go to bed angry. So I, I, I dig what y'all was saying. Well, there are times when I'm a little I'm a little pissed, but I make sure that she knows yeah, I'll get over it. Up. I know I'll get over it. I'm just still you know still working my way through this. And one of the ways I do that is by realizing <laughs> she's the best I can do. Yeah. If I thought I could have done better, I would have. Ain't nobody out there, and there's nobody in second place or third place or fourth place. She's it. There's no back door. I'm not looking for an escape hatch or a parachute. Tanana Reeve Dew is my baby. You know, she was what I've been looking for. And and so, so that was the first thing. Fighting needs to be fair, and it, 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 it's, it can't be about the marriage. We are 100% committed. Nobody ever, ever threatens to walk out the door, period. And neither of us have no, ever done have that it. in 23 years of marriage. Nobody has ever threatened that or hinted that. The other thing came from my, I didn't, I served, did a number of collaborations with the man who brought me into the science fiction field, a gentleman named Larry Niven was one of the great science fiction writers of the 20th century, Ringworld and Lucifer's Hammer and so, and so forth and so on. And um, he, he had collaborated with a partner named Jerry Pornell. And they taught me that one of the things that's necessary in a collaboration is somebody has to have the kill switch. One or the other of you has the ultimate judgment and, and to be able to say, yes, it's going to be this way. Now, the person who has that has the responsibility of being extra careful in terms of listening to the other person. Yeah, you don't lord it around. Because like, you've yeah. got the power, with great power right, and great right, responsibility. Right. Um, so, um, you know, so those those two, and the, whoever it is that has the kill switch, the lead, it varies based on what project it is, which one of us, you know, and you can tell when you look at our books, or our scripts, if she took the lead, her name comes first in the credits. If I took the lead, my name comes first. So, so wait, let me tell it. Let me tell it. Let me tell it. On the lake. So, um, yeah, on Noir, oh, so the documentary came out, did well. We we fought to get more. You know, it was not like a ninety minute documentary. So they green lit a movie version of Horror Noir. Same name, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't change the name, but they have a, a movie version. And we were blessed to write two episodes. One is The Lake, which is adapted from a short story I wrote, and one is called Fugue State, which is adapted from a story we both wrote. But Steve way took lead in writing that short story. It was actually a part of a writing exercise. We could talk about that. But in any case, so for The Lake. Uh, my name came first mm-hmm. because it was based on my story and I took the lead in the screenplay. Fugue State, Steve's name comes first. And this is a good opportunity to plug. But as a matter of fact, it's on AMC yeah. now. A lot of folks don't have Shudder. I get it. It's an extra little streaming service. But I know y'all have the Walking Dead, or have AMC because you've been watching The Walking Dead. So it's on AMC now, cut up into a series. The Lake is the first episode and Fugue State uh, was, was uh, I think, the fourth episode. And by now, the viewers should be able to watch the entire horror noir series in six segments. Love it. And Tanana Reeve's name it. comes first on The Lake. My yeah. name comes first on Fugue That's State. That's dope. I don't know how y'all do that. So Tanana Reeve, you take the <laughs> second half of that question then. How do you remain passionate when so many people around you aren't as passionate about something or they just don't see it? It's hard, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's even just this week, 
uh, I had a disappointment. I have a, a book in development with a, a pretty strong little production company. They've had Oscar winning uh, films and they were trying to pitch uh, my book as a series. And I got the call this week. Mm, it ain't working. Nobody's buying. I don't understand it. And I just tried to keep it moving. You know, I was talking to my therapist. I had trouble sleeping. I didn't understand why. I had a headache. She's like, well, did you actually grieve? (laughs) Did you acknowledge that loss? But what you have to do, I think, is build really, really strong armor, first of all, Mm. so that when I do get a disappointment like that, you try to feel like, oh, well, you know. And, And then, of course, the same day, we got another call that we may have an in somewhere else for another book where we might be able to write a pilot right? It's one of my most popular books. And so that was a big high. But at the same time, I'm not willing to get too celebratory. Well, you know, not until there's a check, not until it happens, not until it's just so, so you hold. Mm -hmm. Even then I don't turn handsprings, you know, it's like, I'll be happy and, you know, I'll be celebrating, but the people who let themselves turn handsprings when it's good are going to go into depression when it's bad. And my attitude is, I like to have my mood relatively calm. And I'll tell you, just a happy guy. So what I do, I was just going to say the the way I keep centered is to keep the focus in the household. And this is honestly something I feel like I learned in part from the actor Blair Underwood. Uh, he had optioned one of my books, My Soul to Keep, many, many years ago. So we spent a lot of time with Blair. And he on the cover? He's on the cover of all them books, Right. Too, he, we did a, we did a series, a Tennyson Hardwick uh, erotic oil mystery up. series erotic. with him as the titular character. Um, and <laughs> one of the things I saw in him is that he very often was around family. His cousin's there. His kid, you know, and, and I thought, oh, that's how he keeps out the tabloids, you know, because you keep it focused on what actually matters because Hollywood is smoke, right? It's smoke. You can't grab it. You can't touch it. Um, but my son, who just turned 18, we're homeschooling him. That's first thing in the morning. That's what I'm focused on. I don't care who's trying to meet, who's trying to do what. Right. I'm focused on that. I'm focused on my relationship with my husband. We have a meeting every day where we start with what's called a blessing dance that, that, that where we affirm our love for each other. So. Right. Yeah. If you ever do a thing specifically on relationships, we would love to, to do the blessing dance for you and, and teach you that. Um, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you I, both as soon as this is over with to get the blessing dance, as well as to talk to y'all about homeschooling. Yeah. Your children, Cause I don't want to send my back. I understand. He didn't want to go back inside. Um, I do. I have a ritual that I use every day specifically that is designed to to uh, connect me with my my personal power. Um, it it is a combination of affirmation, physical motion, and um, and and speaking out loud. So it's affirmations in physical motion. So I'll be doing my Tai Chi form. And I will say, be saying out loud, you know, what I am grateful for in life. And I'm grateful for my beautiful, brilliant wife, Tanana Reeve. I literally say that every morning. Thank God for my beautiful, brilliant wife, Tanana Reeve. I thank God for the people who love me and trust me. My son, Jason, my daughter, Nikki, my beautiful, brilliant wife, Tanana Reeve. And, then, and I go into my plans, you know, and my goals, the, my values, the mentors who have meant the world to me, my, you know, uh, Larry Niven, my karate instructor, Steve Muhammad, um, just the people who, who created my life and the people who are showing me the way to not just be excellent in the world, but to age with dignity, the, to, you know, how do you move through life in a way to be able to express mm-hmm. yourself, keep your, keep your integrity 
they will offer you money for your soul. Bars. And I, you know, it's, it's like, it, the only thing that's worse than being offered money for your soul is being offered money mm. is wanting to sell right. out and nobody is buying. It ain't even worth it. Given, it's not even worth it. For me, it was never even worth trying to sell out. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a no. whore and there are no takers. That would be the worst thing. But people offering you money what? to betray your friends, to do things that are not ethical. I left one agent because I said to him, I don't know what's going to happen with my career in Hollywood, but I know that when I leave, I want to leave with my sense of honor intact. And he looked at me and he said, you'll be the only one. Mm. And I knew that day that he and I would not understand each other because I'm very aware that I'm going to die. And I want my life to mean something. I want my death to mean something. I want to contribute to the world. I want to go into that good night as me as having been as much me as I can be. And there have been times when I, I felt like I compromised too much. And, and Hollywood it, it will ask you to. And Hollywood, I, especially when it comes to race. Yes. Oh, listen. I mean, mm-hmm. just because the doors are open, it, just because they're taking the meetings and the, the characters may have black skin does not mean that by the time that project gets on the air that it has a black sensibility. Oh. And that it has black integrity. And we were blessed enough when we first moved to Los Angeles. I don't even really know how this happened. It must have been through Blair. We were regularly invited to uh, New Year's Day parties at the home of Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance. And they were a huge power couple, of course. And one of the things Angela Bassett told us is not all money is good money. And that's something I think about a lot. You know, we've turned things down for good money, for good money. That thought, that's just going to age me prematurely. That's going to take minutes off the end of my life. That's going to frustrate me. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be someone's black mm. consultant when, when, when on their project, when I could be putting that energy into my project. What? No. <laughs> and I, wondered, I, I wondered whether or not I had lost my way. And Leo and Diane Dillon were uh, artists, black, white married couple and where one of them would finish a line the other one would begin it. Mm. i mean just just amazing artists they, they, whatever art is they were the real thing no question about it and and a mutual friend harlan ellison uh, one of the great science fiction writers of the 20th century another one great you know just just fantastic man introduced us and i set up to have lunch with them in greenwich village um to talk about my wife who wanted to be an artist but when i was talking to them I realized I was in the presence of something very special and that I didn't want to talk to them about my wife. I wanted to talk to them about the fact that I felt lost, that I wondered if I'd sold out too much. And I just broke down into tears. I was sitting there at the table and I just said, you know, is it too late for me? Have I, have I betrayed myself? Is it, can I still find my heart and find the place inside that, that gift that I wanted to give the world? And Diane reached across the table wow. and took my hands and said, Steve, if you can even ask that question, mm. it's not too late. It's never too late to reclaim your soul. It is never too, too late to reclaim your heart. Stand up and say, I want to give a gift of my real self to the world. I want to write to create things for the, for the, the, the young man who looked at the world and said, where am I? Why don't you make images for me? 
you know, when I came home from a movie and my and, and the guy's neighbors who were hot, they killed the brother this time. Why can't we get you know, possessed? That boy that Why can't I, we be like, ghosts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Why, why can't we be damn yes. zombies? You know? Yeah. Yo, but okay, but wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. Let me jump in. Let me jump in. Now I got a question because y'all just said something that um, I think it's something that you all both do very well, but it also reaches into, I guess, something that, that um, how do I say this? I'm definitely one of those kids who watched sci-fi movies when I was growing up and yeah. started asking questions about, well, how come I don't see black people? How come they didn't make a movie about Lando Calrissian? Like, they should have made a whole movie say about that. Lando. Yes. Like, like yes. that's just the way I felt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And as I got older, especially with the music and stuff that I got into, I got mm. into this term called Afrofuturism. And I didn't even know that I was really into it, but that's really about, it's like the black, it's black to the future. It's 2000 yeah. black. It's thinking about black people doing all the stuff that we keep asking, why can't Absolutely. we do, and then doing it. And I know that you two teach an amazing course on this. I want you all to kind of talk to us kind of about Afrofuturism and how this all kind of like what, what you all are. Well, absolutely. Can you flunk Afro? I made an F in black psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me yeah. Just start well, there. I teach Afrofuturism very broadly, and I teach a course in it at UCLA coming up in the spring. It's really the black speculative imagination. Mm-hmm. It's the black speculative arts. Some of that is okay. futurism, like science fiction and seeing us in the future, but it can also be a revised past. It can be magical realism. It, horror. Get Out is Afrofuturism. That's a so horror science love, fiction story. It's Lovecraft Country with that yes. fall under Oh my gosh. Ooh, oh my God. Yes. Ooh, what? Left, absolutely. The because just the right first there. 90 seconds of Lovecraft Country, when you see Tick in that dream sequence, he's getting to be the hero in all the movies we not to, never got to be the hero in. He's the hero of the war movie. He's like there with Jackie Robinson. He's there with the big monster. Like all those movies we were cut out of, they got that out of the way in the first 90 seconds of Lovecraft Country. Yeah, I mean, it's like you watch a movie like uh, When Worlds Collide, where Earth is going to be destroyed, and they build spaceships to take all the good people to another planet, and you take a look, and every single one of them is white. The original yeah, Star Wars was all white. They didn't even... We were we might eradicated in, that, in, in the original universe. Star Wars. Black people did not make yeah. it. I thought, nobody I, thought, cared. I thought that in the future, that black people were going to be Wookiees, because that was the only person <laughs> of color in Star Wars. I'm not even lying to you. I seriously thought that we were all going to grow wait, up and just get mad wait. hairy and Is talk to each other in a series he of was black. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that's a good one. That's real good. That's a good one. So, so I was I was teaching it at UCLA, oh. and and oh. just we decided really that everybody who's not at UCLA should have a chance to take that course too. So we have a digital download course where you take it at your own pace at www.afrofuturismwebinar.com, and it's a ten part course. And then we are the Black Horror course is at www.sunkenplace. Yeah, Sunken Place class and Jordan Peele and the Skyped course in, in writing sorry, that we I'm teach. Sorry. The, the course in writing, we teach a year-long course in writing where every week you get another lesson, you know, video and audio and prompts and everything. And that's uh, Life Writing Premium. Uh, and that's com. where I want to end because I want to celebrate the two of you because you fought so hard and so long for something that you believed in, even when all of the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and everybody else told you no after no after no. And even now with your foot in the door, you keeping the door open and giving the yes. game to everybody else that's coming behind you. And that's on that's top of the podcast, man. Life writing, write your life. You can download it 
anywhere you download this podcast. I don't know when y'all have time to do You ain't got no choice but to do a love dance in the morning because you're too busy the rest of the fucking day. That's right. We got our date on the weekends, though. Yes, we did. Right now. Yeah, that's lifewritingpodcast.com is where people can learn more about the podcast. And we just we just love talking about the arts, our lives, how to maintain health and sanity in the midst of all of this. Um, and, and, you know, just and thank you for coming like on. You on. Thank well, you, you for coming you drop, on. You drop some truth for people about what what it's like to build a career. In, in, and I'd never heard some of the things that you said. I wanted to thank well, you for your I'm, honesty. I'm happy to be honest with y'all. I don't be honest on this show because everybody <laughs> giving me shit. Every not. time I open up on this show, these two Negroes start attacking any, any vulnerable. Anytime you I'm know, vulnerable. to be honest with you. You know, I uh, I spent over 50 years practicing martial arts, and I realized that it wasn't about wanting to be a badass, although it's fun. It wasn't about that. It was about feeling unafraid to be who I really am, is being able to be vulnerable, to be able to cry or laugh or say, this is who I am to the world, and not have any fear at all. Not because I think I can whip everybody, exactly. because I cannot, but because I know I will Living. fight for myself. I'm going to say this on my way out the door. Tanner Reeves, Steven, I talk about my wife like I love her without any questions. I give her all the props in the world. But on the real, when I get older, I still want to talk about my wife, Steven, the way that you talk about Tanner Reeves. And I want my wife, Tanner Reeves, to talk about me the way that you talk about Steven. Like, never take her for granted, my friend. Oh, never just remember, that, just never remember, that. always be courting her. Always remember that she's the girl. You know, who fell in love with you, that Tanana Reeve has given me what some people refer to as the best years of her life. Mm-hmm. I want her to never regret having chosen me. I want her to always yes. know in every moment. Life is a precious journey. I, I would do anything way. I can do for her. She is Aww. she is the love of my life. Period. My uncle told me when uh when I got married, the, we, we tell people it's the best advice anybody gave us. My uncle told us when we got married that the honeymoon mm. is over when you say it is. And so right. we we ain't said it yet. Amen. So I feel you. That's, Excellent. That's it. Love her. Way. Love her with everything you have. You know, love is one of the great gifts in life. We believe in it. We're actually going to be doing our new our class in finding your soulmate, the lover's journey, um, <laughs> within the next within the next few weeks. They don't we're need to be, sign you up. Cause... Maybe you'll have us back on. We can talk about love and sex and. You know, all them good things. You don't that need God to sign up us. for that class, JG. That man sent you flowers and you didn't even do no investigation to see who sent you them flowers. None. You ain't that's the show. Voice job fair. The product of iHeartMedia, Comedy Central, and South Park and Princeton Productions, Tanana Redo, Stephen Barnes. Thank you all for staying with us for the entirety of the show. That is rare. We do not, that's Less than five times. Oh, this is happening. well, we are honored. Thank yeah, you for having literally. us. Less than five times. So, thank you all so so. It that was, was worth it. Thank you for letting there us be real. A single waste. Thank you. Of that, that, Just that bar after bar after bar. Bar after bar. Love ain't facing each other. We got a lot of mo. Great. Is got a lot of mo. Out <laughs> they, how you said it? Love is facing the world together. They ain't looking at each other and arguing about. Love, love is not shit off the TV. Other, That's not looking good. in the same direction. Uh, I was about to say, well, you better go back to the jump tonight, fool. But in a pinch, lust will do.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.